we're back again with our newest episode of No Wristbands. We drink for free, your go-to podcast for highlighting and supporting all things local Chicago music. I'm very excited about our next guest, Andy Weber of Smash Plastic Pressing. Andy's a co-founder and co-owner of Smash Plastic and takes us on the journey from the genesis of the idea in a bar in New Orleans to now running a successful record pressing plant that's in the process of adding an additional press. Did you know that there is a six-month wait period from the time you drop off material at a pressing company to the time it's being pressed? I didn't. Join us as Andy talks to us about the intricacies of running a pressing company and the ethos behind how they operate and what they press. Please enjoy, subscribe to our podcast, and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands, and check out our website at www.nowristbands.com. We're here with Andy Weber from uh, Smash Plastic. He's uh, one of the founders of it, and uh, excited to have him here and talk a little bit about uh, pressing some vinyl today. Yeah, so thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'm interested to hear about your story about uh, how you got involved with music in general. I know you DJ or have previously DJed at Chirp. Uh, can you talk to us about your journey to get to that point? Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I, I always kind of tell people that I'm an old radio guy in general, you know, going all the way back to starting in high school radio. Um, you know, we had a FM station at my high school. I ended up running that for three years and meeting some interesting people that I, I don't think I would have met in my other walks of life. And that kind of led to, and I grew up in the suburbs here, and that kind of led to, um, you know, jumping in a senior's car and finding his, finding my way downtown and starting to see live shows and things of that nature. And so that's how it kind of started in high school. And then that just, you know, blossomed into this. I, I decided to go get my broadcasting degree, but I did all of this because I absolutely have no musical talent. Um, you know, <laughs> I, like every 15 year old boy, I picked up a guitar and I just really wasn't, it just wasn't natural to me. I never really took to it, but I was always such a music appreciator. So I kind of always thought I would be kind of part of music by, a, you know, by adjacency um and being a gatekeeper and i so i went into college radio and then all the way through i ended up in commercial radio for a while long time too and then that whole thing kind of sat on hiatus for a while but and i kind of even ran away from music slightly for maybe about five years i just you know things weren't exciting me i wasn't getting it from the right sources i don't think at the time but um then yeah probably 13 years ago the chirp folk were starting up and I was kind of following it anyway. Um, I knew that things had happened over at WLUW and I knew things were, something was going on. I knew, so I kind of did a cursory Google search and I was like, Oh, Chicago independent radio project and joined in very, very early on. I was one of the original DJs. And so that's how, I guess that's, that's that, that's my, uh, my journey mm -hmm. into music. It's not, it's not all that exciting, but it's always been just kind of there for me. So. No, I, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I too feel your pain of being like, you know, it, it, you know, inept when it comes to playing an instrument, but very interested in music myself. <laughs> uh, right. so when you said you had this like five year hiatus, what brought you back into the music fold? I don't really know. Um, and I don't even know if it was, it was somewhere around the late nineties. I had gotten out of commercial radio, I, you know, well, I had gotten out of DJing at commercial radio. I actually then started working in sales here in Chicago in commercial radio, but, um, I always just dis disenchanted with music in general and, you know, kind of coming out of that, coming out of my twenties, 
Um, and you know, you kind of felt like you were on the cutting edge of things and then you you kind of move into your thirties and you're like, you kind of lose touch with it. And then towards the later end of my thirties, I was like, Oh wait, no, people are still making really cool music and people are still doing interesting things. You know, it's not just a youthful thing. So, um, I think that was more of a part of it. I don't think anything brought me directly back into it. Um, probably the, you know, the scarily enough, probably sometimes it was the access to it. Right. I mean, there was the dawn of the MP3. I mean, that's the access brought a lot of people back into more genres and different realms. They never thought they'd be in. Yeah. That's a, sure. that's a great point. Uh, I definitely remember the days of Napster. Hopefully they don't come after me after <laughs> hearing this, but yeah, uh, I think the first thing I downloaded was I disappear by Metallica. So I've come a long way since then, but that definitely they wouldn't like that. Uh, so being at Chirp, is that where you met uh, you met John? Yeah, John Lombardo and I met at Chirp. Um, yeah, we became pretty fast friends and two guys that were interested in doing lots of things just beyond DJing there. I mean, we um, John started the Chirp Factory sessions. I helped him with a lot of those, almost all of those. Um, so we just, you know, just like-mindedness, and he just seemed like a nice fit when we started kind of launching this thing he had ran a small record label out in san francisco for a few years so i knew i could kind of pick his brain for the you know the client side of things and like what people would be thinking so early on we just i was telling him about my idea and he just looked at me and was like cool i'm in so (laughs) you know he was the fourth partner in but it was it's been such a great marriage i love that uh so how how do you get to the point where you decide i mean because it seems kind of crazy at that point like uh, we're we're gonna open a vinyl pressing plant i mean yeah so I mean, here's the the genesis of it all goes back to um, January 2016. One of my other business partners, Matt Bradford, and I, we um, we're old friends. You know, I've known him for 25 years and we were we've always kind of kicked around. He's made some money in corporate America and he was like, let's do something fun in music. And so we kept talking about it. You know, we, of course, like everybody else in the world, talked about opening a starting a record label. And I kept thinking, let's 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 start looking for something, you know, that is a little bit different than what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And, and so I started thinking le- legitimately. And then one night we were, uh, him and I go to new Orleans a lot. We were at DBA seeing a band. We were in the other room, just standing at the bar. And I looked at him and I said, you know, none of my friends can get records. <laughs> you know, I keep going to record release shows with no records at it. I knew that there was, so I just knew, you know, with having my ear to the ground and reading things and talking to people, I knew there was a production crunch going on in the world. And I knew Chicago did not have its own pressing plant. So it started out more of a, just that was the seed. And it was probably about another, I don't know, eight, nine, 12 months of just kind of talking about it and doing some research and more of him just encouraging me. Um, you know, at first I was like, Hey, these, these machines cost a lot. <laughs> He's right. like, yeah, I don't worry about it. We'll figure that one out later. So it's sometimes you need that kind of push, um, as you go along. And then somewhere right around December of 2016, my partner, Steve Politnik, who him and I are the ones of the two guys at the plant every day right now. And, um, you know, him and I were friends and we were, we were actually running every Friday morning together. And I knew we kind of had similar lifestyles where we were, um, you know, our, our main, our main responsibility in life was taking care of our kids at that point. And when I knew I needed something a little bit more than that 
as they were starting to get older. And so I, I mentioned the idea to him and he just looked at me and said, okay, I'm all in. So that's kind of how it started. So we really, we really just, you know, saw a need um, in the, in the independent music market. And we knew that if we did it the right way, we thought this, this can't fail as long as we're kind of the first ones to market. And now admittedly, we thought all along, someone's way ahead of us. You know, you <laughs> yeah. just kind of had that. Sure. This idea is too good to be true. And we're not that smart. So, <laughs> you know, we just kind of looked at it like someone out there has to be doing it. And then as you start talking to people and you, you know, I remember looking at Steve one day and I looked at him and I said, Hey, we are the ones doing it apparently. <laughs> so, you know, and then that's just kind of how it blossomed. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's funny because we've come such a long way, but it, it's just like you, you fight every day to get to where you are. So it doesn't even feel like it's been that long, but yeah. So that was, that's, that's how we all started this big shooting match. <laughs> oh, I love that you were at DBA. I, I lived in New Orleans for a while. I knew this idea uh, yeah. had to generate from booze being involved. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, you, you've certainly uh, uh, done a great job of picking the right kind of friends. I mean, you know, people who are up for the uh, up for the experiment there. Yeah, I think we're all really lucky that we found each other. I mean, at times, you know, like especially in the beginning, as you're trying to feel your way through the organization and who's going to be in charge of what and how things are going to happen, you know, I, I, we, there were definitely rocky times a little bit, but nothing crazy. And now it just is clicking on all cylinders. It's really cool. Um, so I'm I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to have great partners and friends that are you know, motivating and have the means and, you know, want to come to work every day and work hard and, and kind of have an idea on the goal where all of us are very, very, um, very, we're, we're all cohesive in exactly where we want this thing to go and what it's about. Nobody's pulling in a different direction. And that's, that's, I think that's very rare, probably, in a, even in a small business, especially with four owners. So it's it's wonderful. Is that something you feel like happened organically or is there like one of the four of you is like, Hey, follow my lead. I got you. Um, no, it, it definitely happens organically. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm a force of nature that's probably hard <laughs> to deal with. So I'm kind of pushing <laughs> in a lot of different directions, but everybody's kind of slipped into their roles, which has been wonderful. And, you know, and then they're getting in their lane and running as fast as they can. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything takes a little bit of leadership, but if everybody has the same goal, the, everybody's going to push in that direction. Then, you know, when you start seeing success, that helps everybody's psyche even more. So, yeah. And it's nice to have that sounding board, you know, I mean, sometimes you get in your own head and you can't figure it out, but you get, you know, you got a couple of good people by you. Uh, that that's very helpful. Yeah, it's funny. Um, You know, I've looked at other industries and I've talked to other friends and I just I'm blown away when I talk to somebody who's a business owner all on their own. (laughs) Yeah. You know, a a single business. So I don't care how how small the business is. It just blows my mind because I think about the the risk, you know, have being able to share the risk with four people. Um, And then, yes, sounding board, just being able to, you know, count on somebody else and then to count on three other people it's great yeah. so yeah i'm always marveled at people who can do it on their own i know i couldn't have so right. uh so you say you guys the four of you each have your own lane well can you break us down who do, who does what over there yeah i mean the, the funny thing is we have no titles and <laughs> we have you know no real tasks but um yeah it's so steve my partner him and i are the ones so when we first started this thing 
Uh, we were the only ones doing any of the work at the plant for the most part. John would do some stuff on the weekends. Uh, he has a full, another full-time job. And we would, we were the ones pressing and packaging every single record from, oh, I guess it was, we turned the machine on in October, 2018, and we hired our first guy in July of 2019. So for that stretch of period of time, it was just us pressing each day. And, you know, one of us would press, the other one would package. And, you know, we were, we did it on purpose. It was because we wanted to figure out every little nook and cranny of that machine sure. before we actually hired somebody else. I don't press much anymore, but I can still go over there and do it. I can still troubleshoot. It's, it was, we just felt like that was going to be a real cornerstone for success. It's like if we knew what we were doing first yeah. and kind of bringing everyone else in after that. So Steve, after I kind of split off and, and started working more with clients and things like that, he's really dug in on the machine um, and he's done such an amazing job. He knows every last little aspect of it does a lot of the repairs on it. And now he's leading our team. That is the presser guys who are there every day. And, you know, so it's, it's wonderful because I don't have to think about that end of the business. <laughs> um, so he does that. John, um, John does a lot of our sales, a lot of our front end. Um, he's, he deals with everything from the audio and the art checking it and making sure it's good. And he's, kind of works with our other two um, business managers who help in our, on our sales end of things. Um, and then Matt is, so Matt lives in Omaha, so he's not here full time. And, but he, I always call him, he's kind of our CFO. You know, he just, he, if we, if we were to have one, you know, he checks the books and, you know, looks at profitability and things of that nature. And, um, it's, it's also like, it's almost like having an outside consultant mm -hmm. inside yeah. your place. That's yeah. also one of your best friends. So it really helps. Yeah. Um, that's some great you know, symbiosis. Once again, have that sounding board and I don't want to look at the books. I'm not a numbers guy <laughs> and you know, I, I don't want to push a pencil or a calculator. I can, I can figure out how many records can come off the machine, but I don't like figuring out the back end of it all. So having somebody I trust in that role is just massive. Yeah. So um, yeah. that's, that's been wonderful. So, and then me, I think I'm more of the jack of all trades around the place. Um, I get the orders out the door and put them in people's cars. And <laughs> I, I think that, um, one of the keys to our success, if it's John on the front end, talking to people, talking to clients and me on the back end, it's, it's, I think it's really essential for us to have touches with all our clients, even if not just the big ones, you know, not just the labels, um, but even the small guys who may only be doing one record his entire life, mm -hmm. I, we still feel like they should have access to ownership and allow them to, you know, feel just like the big guy, you know, not that anybody we're working with is, a, is the big guy, but you know what I mean? <laughs> right. yeah. um, that, and that's important to us as we grow as well. And I think it's a philosophy we want to keep. Yeah, I, I love that human aspect of it. What, a, if you don't mind me asking, what do those those touch points look like when you're when you're talking to the guy who's just putting out one album their whole life? What does that conversation look like? Oh, well, I mean, sometimes it's incredibly cool. Um, you know, pre-COVID, you know, we used to have people. We kind of had an open door policy. Uh, if you wanted to come in and see your record being pressed, if you wanted to come in and listen to your test pressing, if you had an issue with it, you wanted to discuss it with us live in person, we welcomed that. Because kind of the philosophy we had when we when we got into this thing, and this goes back to John running a small label on San Francisco, he was like, 
he used to work with Rainbow, who is now since defunct. And, you know, he would be like, or, you know, or United, one of these big plants that the only ones that were around 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you picked up the phone and you got the receptionist and she scrawled down your order and you prayed to God that you got your order six <laughs> months later. Um, so we were really into the idea of making sure that, you know, we were the ones that people were talking to. And so we had this open door policy to have people in and, and we've, we joke around a lot. We've had everybody, uh, we've had people cry while listening to their, mm-hmm. their record for the first time. We have had people hug us uh, spontaneously <laughs> while listening to the record for the first time, which, you know, I, I came home after that day where we had this guy hugging us and I looked at my wife, I go, when was the last time a client just spontaneously hugged you yeah. at work? You know? So it's that, that part's pretty cool. Um, so there's a lot of emotion behind it, but even to artists, we've had artists in who've been making records for 25 years who've never actually seen their record being pressed. And it, it's a mesmerizing process to begin with, you know, being just seeing a record coming off that machine every 30 seconds is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it gets a little old for us now, but I know <laughs> uh-huh. even in the beginning for us, it was it was pretty amazing. Yeah, I so can imagine. To, yeah, to have the have those clients being able to see that is I think it's key, you know, it's the end of the the process for them. You know, they've worked so hard on their art to get to this point. And I always say it's a, it's a miracle to get to that point because there's so many things that go into making a record and it's, it's, you know, got to be cathartic and joyful and everything for them sure. to be able to see that end product. And so that means a lot to us and we're, we're just slowly getting back to that and it's starting to feel really good. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Do you have like a, a special like listening room set up for people to to come in and listen to stuff? We do. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a little bit in disarray right now. I got to get it fixed back up. You know, when we weren't having people in, it was kind of like, oh, well, I'll just throw that in there. Extra but yeah, it's sure. um, yeah, that was very important to us when we started. It's so we're in a uh, a very old building that was once the Hammond organ factory at workshop 4200. Uh, we were going to get there. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it has a lot of unique character and our listening room is actually is um, we built a bar. My cousin and I built a bar around a, um, a, a, a steam holding tank that was originally for the boiler for the whole room. So we were in the guts of the building that was like the boiler room for the entire place back in the day. And because the building is gigantic. And um, so it's kind of ironic that we built this bar, which is houses our turntable on it that, you know, people can come in and listen to. And it has a, the steam holding tank and we were the first steamless plant in the entire world. So we were the first plant not to use a boiler yet. We have this giant boiler <laughs> tank sitting in our back room. So we kind of love the irony. Yeah. You had to bring in a boiler somehow, right? Yeah. Uh, I was, fun. I was reading in that article uh, that you, you got your, your press from, from Toronto, from a company in Toronto, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Viral technologies. Um, they're the only ones making new machines in North America. Um, within hopefully within the next two weeks i will have a second machine um oh. sitting there from viral technologies awesome. and we have also uh this week we will be putting down our down payment on the third machine as wow. well wow so, congrats yeah, we're so we're so we're very happy with them i guess that's, that's my <laughs> my roundabout way of saying yeah i mean we've been pretty happy with those guys and um especially on their their service and their, yeah, their, that end of things with us have been, you know, technical support and all that has been great. When you originally made that uh, determination to go with that machine, which, you know, was 
I don't know, was it unproven? Were, were people doing it? But it was certainly new technology. I mean, were you nervous about making that decision? Obviously, the thing costs a lot. So, yeah. So here's here was like the what we were looking at back then, right? You 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 basically there was the there was viral technologies. There was a company called Newbuilt out of Germany that was making a hand-operated machine, and then. By the time we kind of came around, they we weren't even sure they were still in business by the time we were putting the money down with Viral. But we did look into that. Um, they 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 made a bunch of machines for Jack White's plant, and I think that I think that broke them. Um, so <laughs> so you had those two options as far as new new plants or sorry new machines, and then you had the option of buying old machines and having them rehabbed, and that just seemed like a fool's errand to me mm-hmm. because unless you have access to an engineer who really knows what they're doing, it, it just didn't seem like an option that I wanted to go down. So we were willing to pay up and do the brand new machine with a, with a relatively new company. So what you would, you to answer your question when, so this had to be early 2017. Um, they early 2017 viral first put their machines in market in Dallas in hand-drawn pressing. So they were they were up in like January of 2017 and Steve and I flew down there on like April of 2017. So they were really brand new and got to see that their machines in action. Um, one of the engineers from Viral was actually there working on them when we were there. So it was really nice to kind of see the genesis of it all. Um, and then we went up to Toronto a couple times, see them in action up at their plant. And we actually went up there and worked on a machine for a while before we actually got ours. And so it, it felt right, mm-hmm. right from the beginning with those guys. They were incredibly helpful. We wouldn't have gotten off the ground without them because <laughs> like we, you're talking about four guys who walked in here with no real production experience right. or heavy machinery experience. And we just, you know, had to we had to rely on somebody. And there, I mean, we were having dinner up in Toronto and the former CEO, he's now no longer with them at Viral. He just looked at me and he's like, if you do everything we say, you're going to be fine. You're going to be <laughs> able to operate these things. Just do everything we say. And so I always kind of stuck to that. Yeah. And we, you know, we just kind of trusted in them and their engineers have been great. And we're, they're always just a text away and they really yeah. help us and jump on our problems quickly. So um, yeah, so that that was kind of those options, and there just didn't seem there. It, it seemed to me to be the only option that made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah sounds like you picked the right partner. Yeah, we think so. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I, I talked to other people around the country; they have different opinions, but it worked. It's worked for us. Sure. So, I mean, that's all I can tell you. I think I was struck in that article about how they're saying old or or other technologies that use pressing you have so many errors, like 30 or 40 errors per batch. Whereas with yours, it's like two or three. Uh, that had to have been appealing too, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, that was part of the, the yeah. I mean, most of your errors still are going to be human errors. So we still have plenty of them. Um, yeah, especially as the, the more people we hire. But, um, and that's fine. That's going to happen. But um, yeah, so yeah, the machines are a little more efficient. You know, they, you know, you hope they don't break down as much, you know, being brand new and being able to like actually have a place to go where the parts can be machined to have them fixed. You know, that was kind of the big thing, too. You get an older machine. I mean, you really you either need to have a machine shop that is that is working for you Mm -hmm. or how else are you accessing them? You know, uh, you know, parts and all of that. So, yeah, it was 
there was a lot of factors that played into that. But yes, yeah, speed and, and efficiency was definitely one of them. Uh, in the article, it says that there are 12, like about a dozen record pressing plants in the U.S. as of three years ago. Has that number increased, decreased? Has it stayed constant? Where, where are we at right now? Do you know? Oh, we're yeah. I mean, I don't even know what the number is at now. So kind of when we started, yeah, it was more around that. And there was like right about time we probably two years before us and call it now two, two and a half years after us. I mean, this the the, the boom of the boutique plant like us has really really grown um there's i mean i can't even keep track of them right now because it's like every day i turn around and i see another one coming online what's nice about these boutique plants is gives people like us they it gives you know that independent world someplace to go and so it's really cool when you see these places popping up in other markets like philadelphia asheville north carolina i've you know i've been seeing plants open in all these markets and say wow that's great because they're now servicing that market Mm -hmm. it's not like a giant plant that's opening up to take on sony bmg you know more you know major label production and um and you know and i've and i've heard too some of the some of the plants that are more mid-sized have recently really doubled down and and bought like six eight machines and trying to do more so yeah i mean there, let's put it this way. The reason why we're putting down a down payment on the third machine right now is so we can get it next February because wow. they are, they, 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 you know, they're through COVID their production lines have slowed and now sure. they're going to have to ramp back up. But right. yeah, it's just, you know, there's so much demand out there right now. There's not enough machines. So now everybody's just trying to chase that as fast as they can. Do you, Oh, Sorry, you go ahead. Uh, uh, from the, from the point that you know you envisioned doing this, and then uh, uh, to to now, um, you know, how has the the vinyl market evolved? Uh, you know, over the last three four years. Uh... Um. Yeah. So I would say in the beginning it was it was busy, but nothing crazy. And what's happened in the last ooh, let's see three months has been nuts and it's kind of caught everybody in the vinyl business a little bit off guard on it. Um, there are more record orders out there right now than there are machines in the world to produce them. So that's just a, that's just a reality of where we are right now. Um, I have heard stories, you know, secondhand stories of other plants, you know, completely being shut down this year, as far as taking any more new business. I know that there's some plants that are all the way into, you know, March, April of next year without taking a new wow. business. Wow. I've heard a lot of plants raising their, their minimums, um, to, to like, you know, four figures, you know, a thousand record run is a minimum. Um, so there's, it's, it's been crazy. And so for us, it's, it's been really inter- It's been a really interesting last three or four months. What, you know, we came on line in 2018 and, you know, we went after all the Chicago business and, you know, like, you know, we knew the, we knew the players in the market and the people we wanted to work with. And they kind of, you know, some of them jumped all right in completely. And then some of them kind of nibbled around the edges a little bit. What's been nice about this is, you know, we were never going to be the cheapest plant and there was always going to be, more economical ways to go than go with smash plastic. We always felt where we offer the, well, the stability of being able to come pick up your records rather than have them shipped. And, you know, all the other stuff we talked about earlier of just being able to have a human touch with your, with your production. So um, 
what's been nice about the crunch around the world right now is that most of the Chicago, most of the Chicago clients we've targeted have all jumped full in with us now, which has been That's really amazing. nice. Um, and we're all talking 2022 together. But what's been interesting for us is we've had so many major label business, um, like managers of high profile bands contacting us, trying to get jobs. They're all looking for capacity. Sure. Yeah. And we've and we've been turning a lot of that away, pretty much all of that away. Um, because we feel like we were kind of A at first trying to get the second press online and we were starting to feel a little bit underwater on it. And then then we started to think, well, like let's hold back some inventory because we don't want we don't want to just eat up the whole year. This isn't just about selling records. We wanted to be able to hold back capacity because we knew once everything started opening back up, people here in Chicago, even the people who are going to do 250 records are going to look for a place to go and they're going to want to get them done. They're going to want to get them on merch tables as they start touring in the fall and into next winter. And so it was important for us to just kind of say, well, no, like we can't say yes to everybody because mm -hmm. um, that's not who we are. We really want to be a local plant and a regional plant. I mean, we work with, you know, people nearby as well, but um and definitely not going to go down the road of major label. That's <laughs> that's just like dancing with the devil. There's yeah, no, no reason for it. And all it does is eat up capacity. So we're just, you know, we're trying to be really, really smart about what we're doing. But yeah, the, the industry, going back to your real initial question, the industry has just absolutely exploded. Um, it's it's almost nuts. And I don't, I don't know where it ends. Right. I mean, I think the good news is everybody's busy, everybody's doing well. And um, we're just trying to look at this and try to figure out how do you position yourself best for the future? If something were to turn differently, you know, a year and a half from now, you know, we want to establish the relationships with the people we want to work with for the next 20 years. That, and I, that thing makes so much sense. Uh, you don't want to, turn and burn on people and it's great to establish those relationships and clearly that's something you guys value really highly with bringing people on and checking base with them as you go forward so uh kudos to you in that regard um my my next question is what does that vetting process look like you're here to support chicago bands the the chicago scene if i'm a, an artist and i come to you how do i get uh you know beyond the velvet rope and get entry into getting my record pressed with you <laughs> that's awesome we got a velvet rope already. <laughs> yeah um, you're doing yeah. that <laughs> yeah let's get that we'll put one right at the front door no you know it's funny you, you you use that term but i have said to a couple clients recently i you know i said this might become a little club at some point you know and it really i don't want it to be exclusionary i don't want it to people to feel like they can't oh i can't get my record done and smash plastic that's not what that's about but it is there is a vetting process a little bit um Sometimes it's real obvious, <laughs> you know, like, okay, yo, you need 7,000 records and who do, you, who do you work for? You know, like there's <laughs> some of that that's really easy to vet. But yeah, um, well, let's put it this way. We've, we're still doing a lot of out-of-market business, but it sometimes it's friends of friends. It's, you know, people we know, um, people who maybe used to have a Chicago connection. There's mm -hmm. a lot of that. And we're totally cool with that. And if somebody we know refers somebody, we give them, we give them a, 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 our best turnaround time. Um, what we didn't want to do is have a ton of, we didn't want to be shipping a ton of stuff to Seattle and Denver and, you know, all over the country when 
you know, what is, what, what's the means to the end on that if it's pushing out somebody here? Mm-hmm. So if it's somebody we didn't know that we, we weren't telling no to anybody and we still aren't telling no to anybody. There's just kind of two different turnaround times. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what are those told, turnaround times look like? We're at 24 weeks right now. Um, as it stands today on May 23rd, and that's for, you know, kind of local and most of the people we're doing business with, if somebody comes to us out of market, we'll tell them 34 weeks. Um, and you know, and we'll see And sometimes they'll take it and that's fine too. Um, so it, it, yeah, it just depends, you know, we're just trying to, that, that's where it just comes down to how we're just trying to be so smart about all of this. And I still think in 24 weeks, we're probably beating most other pressing plants in the country in the world right now and i think for us it's kind of like well if we can make maybe we make a little bit less money because maybe we didn't take enough but we're going to be able to breathe a little bit easier and decide who we want to work with Mm -hmm. a little bit better as it goes forward who who gets it beyond that velvet rope right yeah i guess i really don't want it to be like (laughs) that but yeah you know i mean it's it's yeah I mean, it's, you got to be, you know, when we got into this, you know, one of the things I said way back when, you know, um, I, you know, I had so many people saying, oh, well, vinyl, you know, that's the hot business. That's got to be a bubble. And I would always say, yeah, you know, there is a bubble. Um, I do think that major label records are definitely a bubble, you know, but I don't know when that's going to burst. I thought it was going to burst years ago. I've always said, how many times can you reissue a Pink Floyd record or some (laughs) soundtrack that nobody ever really wants to listen to? You know, that's been going on for a long time. But what I was saying back then is that I knew records were being produced independently here in Chicago 15, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. So I, I felt pretty confident as if you fish in those waters, there are always going to be people in those waters. And that's kind of, you know, we definitely wanted to work with people like Drag City, mm-hmm. uh, Numero Group, you know, you're more established guys, but it's also important for us to act as a minor league system too, for mm-hmm. the new guys coming up. We've had uh, Jordan Reyes at American Dreams is one of those guys I point to all the time. He had not released a record until we turned on our press. He is now, I think he's into the 30s now, as far as how many vinyl releases he's had in a matter of two and a half years. So it's, and and we have some other guys way smaller than that too, right? That are doing a hundred, Chicago Research is a a, a really interesting local label that probably would just be doing cassettes if we weren't around, but we've cut a deal with them where we do a little smaller run for them and it makes it easy on us and we use it as a clean out in between jobs and such like that. And it's like, those are, those things are important to me and important to all of us because those guys may end up being the next wax tracks or whoever it is. You never know. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of what independent music is. It's about seeing people grow and, and expanding them, them getting more art out into the world. And that's what, that's what we feel like our part is on that. So that's kind of why we don't want to just run as fast as we can and take every single thing off the table when, you know, it's not like those people's money aren't, isn't the exact same as the band out of LA that's trying to push everybody around and find capacity. So there's, there's certainly uh, been a lot of cool vinyl things coming out. Um, You know, things that might relate to record store day stuff or, you know, whatever colored vinyl things, if, you know, with the things that you do, is there something that is like your typical project or is it just across the board completely unique? 
Oh, um, yeah, I would say for the most part, everything's pretty unique. You know, the one thing we've seen, even in the short period of time we've been around, is that almost everybody wants a color variant of some sort <laughs> with their job, even if it's a short run. And at first, we were kind of really hesitant to do it because, you know, there's a clean out process and it's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a little bit more cumbersome. And then we realized, well, everybody wants to do it. Let's keep doing it. So, yeah, I mean, color is king. I don't understand it. I'm a black vinyl collector <laughs> because it sound, it truly does sound better. Um, it, it melts at a different capacity that color does. Color is getting better all the time. I would say a color record from five years ago to a color record today is the technology is, you know, the PVC, the way it's being melted. There's a lot of a lot of things we've been able to figure out that has made things sound better, but yeah, I'm not really collecting it all just for the color of it, but yeah, it's hot, right? I mean, uh -huh. everybody wants, yeah. so everybody wants color. Everybody wants something unique. They want something that swirls and explodes and looks interesting. So, I mean, I get it. That sells. So, yeah. so we, they can, we, we accommodate all of that. So they can then turn around and put it in, in the record sleeve on their shelf, right? <laughs> yeah, well, as long as it sells, I don't really care what, it, what they do with it, <laughs> sure. right? Like as long as our clients are made, are able to get those records out there. And, you know, and that's that's the important thing to remember on all this too. Um, you know, the, this record boom that's going on, you know, it was really cool to start it. You can kind of look at the genesis of it last year. Um, you know, obviously everybody staying home was part of it. You know, I think I spent more on records last year than I ever have because I kind of felt like that was Same. my way to support support the industry with since I wasn't yeah. going out and, you know, going to shows. But those those initial band camp days, uh, the band camp Fridays, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, the first two, I, I don't remember any of the totals after the first two, but the first two combined something like 12 million in independent sales. And I looked at my wife who doesn't know a whole heck of a lot about independent music. And I looked at her and I said, you understand that's $12 million. I, I said, it might not all be physical sales. There might be some digital downloads in there, whatever. But I mean, that's $12 million going into independent music. This right. isn't, you know, this isn't any major label stuff. This isn't some big Nashville country star. This is independent music. And that to me was um, just a real benchmark of where this whole thing is going, sure. where they're, they're, they're the fact that, um, you know, you fast forward a year later, we're making a living doing this as a pressing plant and we're employing a, a number who are all and who mostly are all musicians, you know, at, a, at the plant. That's part of that independent music ecosystem, if you will, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that is working. And that's that was super exciting. So you're starting to see that. And I remember starting to talk to clients last year as I was putting records in the back of their trunk. You know, they would, you know, even people who did 250 records were talking about the fact that, wow, I pre-sold 150 of these, you know, they were just blown away by it. So I think the really good news in all this is, is that the consumer is buying it. It's not just people producing it. And I, I when we got into this, another thing I was worried about was, you know, I, I didn't want to be selling these records to people who sell 50 of them at their first three shows. And then they sit in their back bedroom for the next mm -hmm. three years and then, you know, they feel burned by it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's working you know i yeah. think that's the nice thing to look at it you know when people talk about it as a fad when people talk about it you know as as a bubble like you have to look at the fact that small independent bands and labels are producing music at a decent clip you know if it's a thousand two thousand records those are selling and they're coming back and they're repressing after that so that also tells me why it's selling so that's these are the things that I, I could probably talk about for hours. Like I yeah. just gets me a little bit <laughs> yeah. excited. Yeah, no, I, I think that's all. I think it makes so much sense. Like, 
you can assess the the success of something by the independent label and the independent artist, right? Because they're not they don't have the money to throw around like the big boys to just like, hey, well, I'll press these and we'll see if they sell or not. No, they need to make money off these. They need to make sure that they're actually moving their product. So that's awesome. Uh, was in in starting out, how did you get your name out there? Like, were you just like turned on the light and all of a sudden everybody's like, hey, I want to press with you? How much legwork did it take to get that off the ground? I mean, there was a little bit of that, you know, I mean, some of the initial media helped our, our kickoff night ended up being kind of fun. A lot of people showed up. So that was, that was part of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I use the old field of dreams thing when we were doing this, <laughs> build it, they will come. Um, but you know, to gain the trust of people who have been pressing records for 20 years, 10 years, five years, that took a little while. And you know, I used to say to people, like, just give us one chance, you know, give us give us one job and we'll go from there. You know, I'm not asking to take your entire production run, nor could I do your entire production run because it was just two of us. So we kind of we we waited in the waters really slowly and we focused on great customer service and we focused on the fact that we were going to make a really good sounding record. And we do make a really good sounding record. I put my records up against anybody in the entire world as far as quality. And that's because, you know, one time somebody asked me, well, you're new at this. Why can you make a record sound better than somebody else? And I'm like, I think it's just care. You put a little mm-hmm. more care into this and you have your fingers on things and you are actually, and your ears, you know, you, you're, you're testing things all the time and you're thinking about different ways of making something sound better instead of just worrying about spitting records out. Yeah. And everybody who works for us also has that same discerning eye, even if they're sleeving, um, everything all the way down to, wow, that's a torn sleeve and they'll throw it away and I'll walk by and be like, that's awesome. That's great. You know, like we want to make sure, cause I think about it as a consumer. I just bought a record that I was listening to last night. I opened it up and it was a production record. You know, it was in shrink wrap when I opened it and I, I couldn't believe what it looked like, you know? Um, so I think that's part of it, right? Like it was, it was, you know, going back to your initial question, it was, a little bit of, you know, throwing up the, turning the lights on, but there was a lot of gaining trust. Mm -hmm, And I think we're finally at that point now where people understand that we're going to do a good job for them. And then being down the block really doesn't hurt. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's helpful in many ways. Uh, well, and, and you're approaching it. I mean, you're not approaching this as you're running a factory. I mean, you're, you're creating a product for somebody. So yeah. Yeah. You know, going into this, it was funny because I remember one time, um, I think Steve was talking to a guy at another plant and he's like, well, do you guys have any production experience? And he's like, no. And he's like, oh, well, then good luck after that. You know, and it was kind of like, you guys are in real trouble with no production experience. And, you know, we looked at this, we're, we're a small, small business in the music community, right. right? We just happen to make and produce records. And, but, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is the only thing that happens at our plant is actually pressing the record. You know, the labels and the jackets get printed somewhere else. And, you know, I mean, it's, so there's a lot and and you know, the records get cut and played at other places. So there's, there's a lot of pride and we handle all of that from start to finish. And so there's a lot more to it than just being production. Um, so yeah, it's, it, yeah, we, we look at ourselves much more as a, just like I said, a small business. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a moment or moments where you're like, or maybe it was an artist that came and approached you guys and were like, Hey, can you press our record? Where you're like, man, shit, we've made it. We're on the right path here. We're doing the right thing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, trust me, there's been, I think, yes, 
The, to answer your question is yes. There's been a number of those along the way. Some of them are probably different for each person involved in the group um, because we all have different tastes in music. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, not everybody's going to get excited about the limelight guy who walks in. But, um, yeah, no, there's been, a, there's been a number of them that sometimes. And, you know, kind of on the other flip side of that, I've, I've gone into this thing where it's like, yeah, but you also can't, you know, get starry eyed for sure. the, uh, you know, the, the big guy too. So, but it's weird. It's very weird. You know, it's, it, I remember at one point coming home to my wife and going, wow, that's weird. Jeff Tweedy knows who I am, you know, <laughs> like that's weird. Right. You know, it's like, I was nobody and now he knows who I am. Um, you know, that kind of stuff, yeah. but nothing. Yeah. It, it's been fun, but you know, we are, I, I still get more excited for, the local artists who have just made something that I've never heard before that is going to blow me away. Mm-hmm. And that I get more excited about. And then they get excited because they're like, wow, you're so nice. You're supporting us and you're doing this. And you know, that, that to me is the best. Yeah. Um, so that's where my, my star power comes from. I, I think what we were we were happy to hear when we talked to Sean Campbell last week. I'm sure you're familiar with Sean. Sure. <laughs> uh, she was saying the Chicago music scene really stands out in her mind because it's just so supportive of one another and, and hearing your stories really align with that. And I'd be interested to know what you think causes the, this, this scene to be so supportive where maybe like New York or LA are more cutthroat. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I've lived here pretty much my whole life, so I, I don't know how to speak to the other markets, but I, I think you're right. I think I think she's right, should I say. Um, I do think everybody here is very supportive, and I think that a lot of times the people in other bands are the ones that are buying the records mm-hmm, and everything else right. in that nature. But, I, you know, it's I think it personally, just being a Chicagoan, I think there's a, there's a certain thing about keeping things in Chicago and keeping us as Chicagoans. I think we all kind of take a lot of pride and there's, you know, there's a, there's a certain un, unspoken word about it. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is, but I, I do think that there is a, a lot of, a lot of support within the independent music world. And I think what else makes this independent market music market more different than any other play. Well, I shouldn't say any, what, what makes it great is the diversity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, and, and I, I've been, just astonished about the amount of genres that come through our plant. Um, and if it's anything from, you know, we're doing, we're doing records for people in Columbia right now, but it's done by a guy here in Chicago. Um, you know, so there's there, things like that, the, the amount of jazz that is happening in Chicago. And it, when you kind of use that loop, that, that term loosely, you know, everything from traditional jazz to, can, you know, completely experimental jazz. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on here, um, more than I ever thought. And the, and those records are selling a ton, which is really exciting. Um, and then, yeah, you go all the way down to your rock and roll, you know, garage scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool. And it's and you know what the, the what I think is really amazing about that is the genres blend. You know, you mm-hmm. have you have a jazz drummer who's also in a big indie band like it's that that to me is what makes Chicago, the Chicago music scene great. And I think that is part of what you're talking about when, when you talk about support. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, what Chicago bands have you discovered recently? Like what, what have you pressed recently that you're like, 
Damn. Okay, that was amazing. <laughs> Putting you on the spot. I, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. No. No. It's. I hate doing it because I know I'm going to forget somebody, and right. I. I. Because I, I have so many records that I, I mean, if you could see behind me, I just have stacks sitting on my bar because <laughs> I bring them home, and then I have it. You know, I like try to spend my weekends listening to records. Um, wow. Well, you know, the the new Fax record dropped on Friday. We did that. Um, I. I love everything Brian Case has done for the last 25 years. And this record is not, you know, just right along there with it. They just keep getting better. Um, oh, I'm actually wearing the, can you see that? Yeah, I, I know. Sorry. We're doing audio. We're not on. We're not on <laughs> um, yeah. So that's Emily Jane powers. She's got a new record coming out. It's not out yet. That's she's uh, released a couple singles off of it. I believe it is due at the end of this month or beginning of next month. I don't remember exactly. So it's funny because we deal with records so much further out yeah, right, a lot right. of times than they've actually been released. Um, that's a, that's a really good record. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones that I've listened to recently. I also um, I'm privileged to the fact that I get to listen to music that like six months sometimes before it's released. Yeah, right. You're uh, already 2022 on us. Yeah, I just I, I I got to listen to the new Jeff Parker record uh, this past weekend. It's probably not going to be out for a few more months, and it's unbelievable. His I mean, last guy one was incredible. Knows what he's doing. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's um it's fun, and you know what? I rely on a lot of our employees too you know on our slack channel we'll have a slack channel of what people are listening to because you know we lo we allow those guys to take home a, a copy of every record we do and so sometimes i have to rely on them and say <laughs> hey what's what have you been listening mm -hmm. to what have i missed you know because I, I don't i can't take everything home i mean it would just it'd be overwhelming but uh recently this week there's a um a new record by a band called wednesday it's mm -hmm. kind of, that's mm -hmm. not actually a local record yeah they're from uh philly right yeah 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 their, their new record's really really good i just listened to that um uh this past week that's coming out on a rindle records which is owen ashworth's label um so that's coming out locally and i just listened to um last night a local record that's going to come out on born yesterday records those guys are doing some really interesting stuff um spirits having fun is the name of the band and that one i really liked last night so um yeah it, no every week i mean you could hit me up next week i'd tell you four <laughs> right. different records exactly so. well don't say that because we will uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh i have two more questions about the the record pressing plant and then we have some some chicago-based questions so okay my my first question is what's a, a day in the life at the plant like for you for me personally sure um yeah i you know i mean the, the, the nice thing is now it used to be like okay i'm gonna walk in the door and I'm jumping into chaos. Um, <laughs> I come into work a little bit later than uh, like my partner. He'll come in early and I'll stay a little bit later than him. And so I, I love it because when I walk in, I hear I can from the end of the hallway as I pull my bike in, I can hear that machine running and that just makes me happy. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's been great. I'll, I'll walk in, pour a cup of coffee, walk around, start saying hi to people because they're doing their jobs. It's it's an unbelievable feeling. And like we just really kind of crossed that threshold probably in the last, I don't know, three or four months. And um, so it's it's nice to see it kind of operating and, and flowing the way it's supposed to flow. But then most of what our daily operation is right now, as far as the owners go, it's 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 a really hard, it's it's a hard situation because 
I think getting the business off the ground was probably one of the hardest things I ever did, you know, as far as, or all of us did, as far as, you know, getting the build out done. Well, now we're doing it again <laughs> while being busier than ever and yeah. trying to get our production yeah. runs out as well, while trying to figure out how to have a second press installed while also trying to figure out how to pay for a third press. Right. So I would say that takes up a lot of my bandwidth <laughs> yeah. every day. So that's kind of the, if there's a typical day right now, it's, it's a typical day of, of what do we need to get done to keep pushing this boulder forward? Yeah. Hey, kudos to you. I mean, that's, that's amazing to, to be that busy. seems like you might be a little bit of a masochist, right? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, no, you know, what's funny. Uh, and this goes, this is kind of where we've, as the, as the ownership group's been talking, we've really started to dive into what do we want this business to be moving sure. forward? We could end up, we could go right now, right? We could go out and get more investors, probably get a new location and put in eight, 12 presses, and then just go out and try to sell records and probably keep them busy. But that's not a business that I want to run. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, at that point, I've got managers and I'm not talking to the small individuals and we've got so many records coming off. I'm never going to keep track of them all. And, you know, and I think it's important for us to put our ears on each each job and making sure there's quality control going on. And so that's why we've kind of decided that we think, I mean, anything can change, but we think we're going to stop at three machines. We have the space for it right now. And we think that capacity can can fully function within this market and be able to keep everybody happy and get turnaround times where they need to be and keep us a nice little independent business. Right. And that's more important to us. And so I, getting to the point where like the idea of this expansion is hard every day. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's, I guess that's the masochistic side to it, but um, I want that to end. <laughs> I want to get to the point where we've expanded enough and now we're just having fun because there is part of this. You don't go into this business because you're trying to make a lot of money. If you do, I think you're going into it for the wrong, right. For the wrong reasons. And um, you want to go into this because you want to interact with the artists. You want to go to record release shows. Mm -hmm. You want to be part of this community. And that's why we started it. So we're trying to stay true to that and not, chase money because that's not going to be fulfilling and we just want to have a really cool job for the next 10 15 years yeah i respect that um my last question for you is how did you guys settle on the name um i just started writing a bunch of stuff down um really that was it and it just kind of stuck you know i think i i said it to matt and he's like yeah sounds good to me and steve really <laughs> liked it um there was the pla the plastic end of it. I don't, I wanted something that sounded a little punk rock or mm -hmm. something. I yeah, don't know. I exactly. just I didn't want it to be a production sounding. Yeah, game, sure. right. That, that was that was my big goal. I didn't want it to be like, but yet I wanted it to still sound like it's a pressing plant. Right. So yeah. we just kind of we tried to get obvious with it. Yeah, I think it worked perfectly. Yeah, I love the name. Uh, great. Uh, so now we're gonna ask you some some Chicago based questions. Uh, cool. These are rapid fire, so. Feel free to right. add as much or as little details you'd like. Uh, what is your favorite local venue to see shows at in Chicago? Oh, wow. That one's hard. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's it's really hard. I guess, I guess I'll go with the hideout. Good answer. Uh, do, do you care to elaborate on that? Or we can move on to the next question. Uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, it, it it's tough now because it's like, you know, there's development going on over there and right. stuff. But mm -hmm. I mean, you know, 
going back to the hideout 15 years ago before they even had a sign on Elston to tell you where it was. Like, you'd have <laughs> yeah. to talk cab drivers into, no, trust me, there's really a business down here. Yeah, you right. Take a left, you know, that there was just always something so amazing about it, right? Because yeah. there was this tiny little bastion in the middle of this industrial park that, you know, you, you'd feel like you're a million miles away. So it was always fun to take people from out of town there. And, you know, it, it, it will always have a... And, Great ownership, wonderful people who work mm-hmm. there, diverse music, great sounding room. I mean, but there's so many good venues. Yes. I, I that's that's not fair to for me to even, you know, pick one out, but that would be yep. the why. I'm yep. I'm so sorry to have done that to you. Uh, <laughs> he he will Papa here will elaborate on on even more about what we're trying to do here. He's he's very passionate about this, so I'll let him take this part. What part am I taking? You're taking the part where you're telling us about why we're doing this podcast. Oh, well, I mean, why we're doing the podcast is exactly why Andy's in the business. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're here to support the the, the local music community and, uh, um, you know, n- not just the bands, but also, you know, put a spotlight on some of the people that are doing things behind the scenes like you are. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think that... Everybody out there today, the, you know, the people that are going to listen to this podcast are looking for ways to support local music, you know, mm-hmm. and whether it's buying vinyl or going to shows, whatever, um, you know, that that's what people are interested in doing. I mean, they recognize that bands are struggling and, and the, you know, the COVID thing was ridiculous for them. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, we're just trying to find a way to help out in that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh so here's my next favorite question, which is, are you a thin crust tavern style pizza lover or are you a deep dish pizza lover? Or do you not like pizza at all? Uh, thin crust, for okay. sure. Okay. All right. Go. Do you have a go-to right. thin crust spot? Yes. Um, hey, we bounced around for years. So I live in North Center. Um, so we used to order from Pete's for a long time. Love Pete's. And um, then Angelo's up on Montrose. We'll mm-hmm. order from there. And then Tortorisi is recently yep. on Irving Park. Yeah, on Irving yep. Park. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Love that. Um, so our, my, this, this one is legitimately my favorite question. I know I keep saying that, but, uh, <laughs> we are big believers in, in drinking beer, right? <laughs> the name okay. of this podcast came out from a night spent drinking lots and lots and lots of beer. So my question is, what is your go-to, uh, shitty beer? Like for me, it's, it's either special X or it's PBR. Yeah. Old style talls. Okay. Right. I love I it. Love, yeah. I love the old style tall boy. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, so I think that's it. We can tie a bow on this. Uh, thank you so much for coming in today right. and, and talking to us yeah, or coming in virtually. Awesome. Right. But I, I feel like we've learned a lot. I would, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say I would love to come by sometime and, and see the, you guys in operation. Yep. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. You're more than welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, once again, this is Andy Weber from smash plastic and, uh, we look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thanks so right. much. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Thanks so much for listening today. We are No Wristbands. We drink for free. Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at NoWristbands.com. 